Well, howdy. My name is Kevin Barra. I'm the college pastor over at our Southwood campus, and I am so thankful to be with you here this morning. If you have a Bible, jump over to Genesis chapter 1. It'll be easy to find. It's all the way at the front. And if you've never read what we're about to read, this will be very exciting for you. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And we will read this, and we will dive in. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Well, over uh, this year, we had an amazing new opportunity to move to a new house. Um, I have four amazing kids, a six-year-old daughter named Peyton, a five-year-old son named Micah, a three-year-old son named Jesse, and a one-year-old daughter named Juliet. And in the house we were living in, we were quickly outgrowing, right, because we kept propagating. And so we had the awesome opportunity to move to a new house, and it was so great. And so if you've moved recently, you know exactly what I'm, where I'm going with this. Um, over time, we had lived about seven years in our previous house, and over that season, you accumulate clutter, right? Lots of things, boxes, garage fulls of clutter. And so over this time, you, you get to the, when you move, you get to decide which one of you is going to make the journey, right? Which clutter is going to make it into a box that's going to go to the new house? And so we got rid of everything, it felt like. There was boxes and garage fulls and old clothes of just stuff we just gave away and gave away and got out of our house. And then uh, we had the cool opportunity to move to the new house. And I had great hopes, great aspirations that we would only have brought the things we needed and not the things we didn't need. But as soon as we got in, this was a picture that occurred soon after we got there. There it is. Now, you may not be able to see that all that well, but that is my three-year-old son, Jesse, in one of the rooms just looking at the sea of clutter, clutter, marveling at it, right? And that's reality, right? And if you think about this past year, I I think for most of us, we began with good intentions. This this idea that I'm only going to put in my life things that matter, things that are important, the the primary things. But as as the year got rolling, as the semester got rolling, you would realize that there became clouds and seas of clutter that just filled your life. I mean, there's that organization you joined. There was that opportunity you took. There was that thing you said yes to your kids about that locked you up for, I don't know, five days a week for the rest of your life. There was all those things you committed to, and all of those commitments all of a sudden began to clutter your life. And if you're like me, you, you, you would look at that and go, I want 2017 to be a little different. I want to only put the things in my life that are most important, that are going to help my life thrive, not just help me to survive. And the reason I begin there is because as we look at Genesis, we get a restart with God. I mean, Genesis chapter 1 is written to a people on how to restart life. I mean, it's written to to how to begin life. But Genesis chapter 1, Genesis, the first five books of the Bible are written by a man named Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all written by one man, Moses, to a people who had been in slavery for over 400 years. 
And then God takes these people who had been in slavery for 400 years and leads them into the wilderness to teach them about how to live life. And if you've ever taken the moment to go into the wilderness, removed from all the clutter, you begin to see things that you, you, you didn't see previously. You begin to reset your priorities, what you need. You see, the wilderness is, a, one author writes it this way, the wilderness is healing, a therapy to the soul. Most of the time in the 21st century, we dominate our surroundings. surroundings. We tweak our thermostats and the temperature falls one degree. We push a button and Taylor Swift sings for us. It's the opposite in the wilderness, which teaches us constantly that we are not lords of the universe. You see, God leads this people into the wilderness to tell them about their history, to tell them about their identity, and to give them a new trajectory in life. And this morning, what I want to do is to lead us in a moment into the wilderness to talk about who we are, to talk about what we're here to do and give us a trajectory in life, to give us a model in how to live life. And that's what we see in in Genesis. He gives them a model in how to live life. See, the people were 400 years in slavery and they began to get ingrained in a system of living and acting and producing that didn't produce life. And he needed a moment to reset them and how to live life. But for most of us, the benefits of technology have, have not freed us. They've tethered us. Because just any moment, something will ting, something will bing, something will happen. It'll sing you a cute little song, depending on how technolog- technologically advanced you are. And that feign of importance will cloud and clutter your life constantly. But in Genesis 1, we get a picture of how to build life. A picture of how God desires for us to build life. And the first thing that we see in Genesis chapter 1 is, is really a cycle of preparation, rhythm, and reflection. You guys are going to have to advance this for me. Preparation, rhythm, and reflection. And this is a cycle that God sets here. There are things to prepare. There's a rhythm in how I want your life to go. And there's a time of reflection to evaluate how things just went. And the first thing that we see in Genesis chapter 1 is preparation. I just read it to you in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. It says that God created the heavens and the earth, and it was formless and void, and there was darkness over the face of the deep, and there was evening, and there was morning, and it was the first day. And God spends the first three days setting structures. He spends three days forming the structures before he fills it. In fact, it says two things of the land. It was tohu and wovohu. Tohu means there was no form, and wavohu means there's nothing to fill it. So there was no structure, and there's nothing to fill the structure. And so God literally spends three days just thinking about structures. He sets the land in place. He sets the luminary bodies in place. And before anything starts, he just spends three days looking at the structures of life. Do you do that? Do you spend time thinking about what you're going to do before you start cluttering it with things to do. Think about this past year. Did you spend time setting the structure of your life before you started saying yes to things in life? He spends three days just thinking about structures, just looking at preparation, looking at the forms to see what's missing. And I love that. And I just want to look at five areas in your life and my life. Five areas, five structures that need to be in place in your life to think about 
the forms that you want to be there. And the first one is this, with Jesus. Secondly, with family. Thirdly, with friendships. Fourthly, with fitness. And fifthly, with strangers. With Jesus, with your family, with friendships, with your fitness, and with strangers. And I just want you to ask the question, what's needed today? This is one of the things I love about God. He begins forming a structure and he leaves it there for a couple days before he comes back to it. And I love that. So I just want you to think about these five areas. I want you to think about what could be put in your life in one of those five areas. With Jesus, is it getting time in prayer? With your family, is it getting to know how to be a better parent? Is it reading a parenting book, going to a parenting conference? With your friendships, is it getting to know those people who live right around you? It's your neighbors who have lived there for five years, and you've actually never had a conversation with them. Is it, or is it someone here at church that you could meet? Or fifthly, with strangers, is there something you can do to connect with the community around you? In those five areas, is there something you can do this year? And I know immediately, as soon as I say those five, you say, Kevin, okay, that's overwhelming. I mean, five things? I mean, I'm already looking at 2017, and I'm already feeling like my head is underwater. So, so, so you got to help me with that. But I would just say, is there 15 minutes that you can spend with Jesus? Is there one parenting book you can read in 2017? Is there one person you can meet this month? Is there, is there one day a week you can dedicate toward fitness. You're like, in 2017, if once a month I can get to the gym, that'll be a win, right? Is there one day a week you could do that? Or is there a few hours you can set aside to think about the stranger? We'll talk about that more in a moment, but I would just ask you, what are the structures you need in life? What are the things that are missing? What form could you put there? And I just want you to focus on one. What's your one? What's one area for you that you would want to prioritize, to spend time on? And then we see God move into rhythm. We watch him create a life that doesn't just survive, but thrives. And he says it this way in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from night. And let there be signs for the seasons, for the days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. On day four, we begin to see God filling the form that he just created. And the first thing that he does is he sets the stars in place, the luminary bodies. Now, I grew up in Houston, and so we never saw stars. Stars were like a myth growing up in the city. And there was, but there was only one constellation that I saw growing up. I ran cross-country growing up, and so early morning, we would get to the track, and we would sit there under the stars, and there was one constellation I would see, and it was Orion. He had like three stars for his belt, and so that's the only constellation I knew. And we would mock Orion. We would say to each other, hey, don't say that to me, or otherwise Orion will shoot you. You know, he's got a big arrow, Archer. We'd be like, I don't know the answer to that. Orion, do you know? And so that was the way we kind of mocked Orion. But to the ancients, when they saw the stars, when they got into the wilderness and just looked up, they didn't see something to joke about. They saw cosmic conflict. They saw war. 
They saw the stars of communicating a war of the gods. But God in this moment is, is designing this text to throw the ancient religions on their head. He says this, the stars are not there to show cosmic conflict. They're to show a rhythm of life. The stars are there to guide you into days and nights and seasons. But in 2016, we don't have to operate in days and nights and seasons. We have artificial light, right? You don't have to sleep if you don't want, right? In fact, the other day, I went and bought a pint of strawberries. That's a, that's a summer fruit. You're like, I know, but they grew them somewhere. I know, that's kind of my point. Like, we don't have to rest. There's never a moment that we just simply have to stop because there's this constant pressure in our world to produce, to constantly keep going. We don't have to live in rhythm because we can live constantly producing. Someplace in the world, there's stocks being traded, money being made. Technology keeps us constantly connected. And so there's this constant pressure to produce, but not only to produce, this pressure to accomplish never stops. I remember when I was in high school, there was the extracurricular activities. There was the organizations you were involved in. There was the preparing for the, the SAT. And I remember in high school, as a high school student, freaking out, am I going to get to college? Am I going to live a life worth anything? And there was this constant pressure to produce. And then I got to college. And some of you got to college. And you got there, and then you could just rest easy at A&M, right? It's just simple. Lies, right? You get to A&M, and immediately they're like, what organization are you involved in? What are you going to produce there? What, what internship are you going to have this summer? And you're like, what, summer's coming, right? It's like five months away. What are you going to do? I mean, are you going to live at home with your mom the rest of your life? Like, what are you going to do, right? And then you become an adult. And you're like, okay, finally, all that pressure will leave once I get to be an adult. But if you're a single... And you spent with fa- time with family over the holidays. Their questions are, hey, what job are you going to have? Is there anyone on the horizon? Anyone that we need to get to meet over the holidays? And you're just like, stop it, right? Or once you get kids. Oh, your kids. What school are they going to go to? What sport are they going to be involved in? Have they started studying for the SAT yet? Well, she's six. I don't care. Have they started studying for the SAT yet? Yet. See, in all of life, there's this constant pressure to produce, and it's infused. All of life, there's never a break, there's never a rest. In fact, one psychologist, her name is uh, Phyllis uh, Fagel. She's a counselor for medical medical students in uh, Bethesda, Missouri, and she says this. The stress levels among my 13 and 14-year-old students approximates what I saw several years ago when I counseled high school seniors. There is a sense that they need to follow a prescribed path to perform well in every discipline. Parents and students fear that even middle school choices might have an impact on college admissions. Oh no, a middle school C will set my life in a horrible trajectory. As a result, when students earn a low grade or don't like their math placements or get cut from a team, they become unmoored. Intellectually, we know that no one needs to be good at everything. But in practice, it can be difficult to take the long view. See, for many of us, this constant pressure to produce doesn't allow us to set a rhythm in life of work and rest. Instead, it says, it says you've got to constantly produce something. And for many of us, we're living as Egyptian slaves and not free. Because there's this constant pressure 
to produce. And so God says something to Abraham, the OJ, the original Jew, Genesis 12. He leads him into the wilderness. He says, look up at the stars. Can you count them? Just take a moment and look up. Look to something that's so far beyond you, Abram. I've got a plan for you. I've got a future for you. And it doesn't involve constantly pressuring yourself to achieve. It involves coming to me, preparing your life, setting a rhythm in life that's sustainable, that's enjoyable. Several years ago, I was wrestling with this personally. And I listened to a sermon by Andy Stanley. He had one statement on, in that sermon that shook me. He says this, don't trade what's unique to you for something that someone else will do. Don't trade what's unique for you for something someone else will do. And he expands on that. He says, there's only a few things in life that, are, that only you can do. Only you can be a father to your kids. Only you can be a friend to that person. Only you can be a husband to your wife. Unless you choose not to focus on what's unique to you. Because then you'll lose it. And he goes on. He has a book called Choosing to Cheat. And he says this. Everybody cheats. We have to. We have several important calls to make in life. You have a career to perform. A spouse to love. A family to raise. A ministry to perform. The list goes on. Each of these has tremendous value and merit in your life. And the world at large. None of them should be neglected. However... When you consider that there are a limited number of hours and that there is no way you can reach your full potential in all of those areas, there's not enough time. Your work situation isn't any different than mine. If you stayed at work until everything was finished, if you took advantage of every opportunity that came your way, if you sought out every angle to maximize your abilities, improve your skills, and advance your career, you would never go home. Likewise, if you stayed at home, until every ounce of affection was poured out in every appropriate place, if you kept on giving until every emotional need was met and did every chore, finished the honey to-do list and did everything necessary to ensure that everyone felt loved, you would never make it to work. In fact, if you're a parent, you know that your kids alone could command every waking hour if you let them. Someone say amen to that. Add to that your fitness goals, your hobbies, and friendships. And he says, over time, our families realize that the only way they can get our attention is to create a crisis. And the, the solution to setting rhythms in life isn't to increase my tempo, to increase what I can produce. It's to create space. And that's what God does. He creates space for each animal to thrive. I mean, he creates a huge cliffs for the goats to climb up. He creates endless expanses of forest for monkeys to just play in. He creates endless oceans for dolphins to just have fun in. In fact, Job says it this way, I made the Leviathan to sport, to play in the ocean. You see, God created space for each animal to thrive. And then he creates man and he sticks him in the midst of the garden. And he says, look, keep and cultivate this area. Don't focus on everything. You focus on this thing. 
and you build a rhythm in life that's sustainable, that's enjoyable, that where life can thrive. And in Leviticus, you knew I was going there next. In Leviticus, God says this, and when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I'm the Lord, your God. You see what God's saying? He's saying, I don't want you to live life all the way to the edge. I don't want you to push the boundaries all the way to the edge so that there's nothing to gain. And I'll tell you what, sometimes living on the edge can be fun. Like going skydiving can be fun. You should try it sometime. Or if you're not that level of risk taker, there's safer versions in Houston where you can kind of simulate the sensation of falling. You should do it. So living on the, life, living on the edge in life is fun sometimes. But if every day you walk out the door, you put on your backpack or your satchel or your briefcase, depending on how cool you are, you take a step out and you feel like you're jumping into oblivion, hoping your shoot will catch. You've pushed it too far. You're living your life on the edge. You were never meant to create. And God says, that's not what I'm talking about. I want you to create a rhythm in life that's sustainable, that's enjoyable. I mean, can you imagine Jesus living on that level of edge? Going to the father and being like, hey, dad, sorry, man, just couldn't get it done. Like, what couldn't you get done? The whole dying for the sins of the world thing, oh, man, just couldn't get it done. What happened? Well, I mean, there's the traffic, the dude was demon-possessed. I mean, it was just crazy, got distracted and crazy, and he didn't. Why? Because he picked his path. He picked his priorities. He says, I'm going to focus on these things. These are the things that are most important to the Father. And I'm going to focus on these things and other things I'm simply going to let cut. There's three books I would give you over this this next year to, to read and think about how to structure these things in your own life. One is called Boundaries by Henry Cloud. One is called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. And the third one is one I reference. It's called Choosing to Cheat by Andy Stanley. And in each one of those, he says, I want you to create space for Jesus. I want you to create space for your family. I want you to create space for friendships. I want you to create space for your fitness. And I want you to create space even for the stranger. You see what he says in Leviticus? He says, I want you to create a border in your life so that anyone coming by can come and be served. I want you to create a barrier, a boundary, so that when someone needs to borrow something, they can. But some of us live at such, at the edge of everything. If anyone was to come by and say, hey, can I borrow a hundred bucks to do this? You'd say, no, I'm, I'm pushed to the edge. Hey, can you come help and serve in this area? And you'd say, no, because I'm pushed to the edge. And when you live your life on the edge, everyone around you loses. So God says, I want you to prepare what's missing in your life. I want you to create a rhythm in life that's enjoyable, that's sustainable, where people can serve. Don't live to the edge. And thirdly, I want you to spend time reflecting. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It's the end of his creation moment, and he says this. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very Good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. I have a six year old daughter who is a creative genius. 
And what, am I, what I mean by that is this. She creates in abundance lots of things. And so I came home one day from work, and I, and I run there, and she comes bounding to me, holding this thing in front of me. And I looked at it. It was a toilet pa- paper roll with pom-poms glued on it, with uh, little colors around it. And she goes, look, Daddy. And she hands it to me. Now, if you're a parent, and you've ever seen a, received a gift like that, what's your response? That's beautiful. You outdid yourself. And I have it in my hand, and I'm like, baby, what is it? And she's like, it's a monster. And I was like, you are right. That is a monster, right? And I thought about my daughter for a moment. I said, and I said to myself, my daughter has no problem celebrating the things she creates, right? I mean, she's so excited to to color a picture or or make a monster or, or whatever and give it to me. And she's got no problem celebrating this thing that she just created. And and I thought about that. I'm like, that's not me. Like, I don't naturally come to the end of a season, maybe end of a semester, end of a work project or something, and celebrate that thing that I just did. You see, I tend toward the discontent. I I look to the next thing. I look to the next obstacle or the next thing to accomplish. I don't sit there and simply celebrate the thing that I just did. But I look at God. And what does God do? It says in verse 31, he looked at everything that he had made. He observed it. The first thing that he did is he observed it and he just said, what did I just do? Have you done that this year? To look, take a look back at 2016 and say, what the heck did I just do? It's all a fog. What did I just do? And then secondly, he evaluated it. He said he looked at each thing that he'd created and said, it is all good. Now, as you look back at 2016, there may not be a sweeping, it is all good that kind of comes from your mouth. But Paul gives us this admonition. Hey, is there anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, anything? Then focus on these things. Look at your past year and say, what is there to observe? What there is to evaluate? And thirdly, what is there to celebrate? What I love about God, if you read the first five books of the Bible is that he leads this people out of the wilderness who were slaves, who only knew work. They never knew rest. And you know what he put into their life? Mandatory days of celebration. You're going to celebrate the new year. You're going to celebrate the Passover. You're going to have mandatory times where you just celebrate this season of life. And I love that. Do you do that? You take time at the end of the season to just celebrate a year, a project, something you just did. God does it. And it's a rhythm he wants to be in you. And I look at that and I I say, okay, okay, Lord, there's so much I need to prepare. There's there's so much rhythm that I've, I've, I've overplayed. And as I reflect, as I think about this past year, there's so much I want to change. And now let me just point you to the person of Jesus Christ before you get too down on yourself. You see, Jesus prepared. In fact, he came to earth and he lived the life that he was called to live by the Father. He prepared for it. And he had a rhythm in life. He told a lot of people no in life. Can we stay here and do this? Peter, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I've got a mission that God has called me to. I'm heading on that mission. And at the end of his life, he reflected. He was nailed to a cross and he looked out and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he said, It's finished. And he died. 
And you know what that accomplished for us? It accomplished freedom, forgiveness of sins, but it also accomplished someone who did the work for us. See, as you set this rhythm in life, there's nothing you're trying to earn. There's not a God you're trying to please. This is just for life to thrive. And God says, look, it's finished. The hard work is over. The debt has been paid. This isn't about earning salvation. This is about living in freedom, living the life I've called you to live in relationship with me, in enjoyment of the creation I've given you to steward in this time in life. And it's never going to be easy. It will be hard. But the work is done. Our step is simply be filled with the spirit and walk the path he laid before us, following his lead. I spent some time in Colorado as a kid. I remember the first time I ever went to Colorado, I was 18 years old. And my uncle uh, is a man named Jim Smith. He lives in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. If you ever go there, you see Jim Smith Realty. That's my Jim Smith. That's my uncle. And he's a mountain man, huge beard, intense dude. And he says, we're going to go out on a hike. I'm like, perfect. I'm 18 years old and invincible. And so we start going down this hike. And, and the first part of the hike is simple. It kind of goes down into a ravine. It's this lush, beautiful val- valley. And I'm just like, hiking's the best. This is easy, right? And life can feel that way sometimes. It can feel simple, like the wind is at your sails. It's easy. And then we take a turn and go, start going up these switchbacks. It goes up and up and up and up. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And we get to a point where there's snow covering the path. And he looks at us and says, look, we got a little off trail there. So we're going we're gonna to have to go across the face of this mountain, up over the top and kind of climb our way down. You want to do this or turn back? I'm 18. I'm like, let's do this. What are we talking about? He goes, okay, I'm going to put one foot in and you follow my lead. And I took one step after one snow drenched step after him across the face of this mountain. I look to the side and it, it feels like a sheer cliff. If I teeter, I'm done. But he says, focus on me. You just follow my lead. And we go across the face of this mountain, go up over the top. And it's me, my uncle, and my cousin Kim. That's the only people that are left on this journey. And we're at the top and he looks over and says, look, we're gonna have to rock climb down this thing about 30 feet, okay? I'm like, you guys are crazy. And he goes over, he's like in his 50s and he climbs down it like, a, like an animal, like he is. And then my female cousin Kim goes over the edge and they look at me, I'm like, I gotta go now. And I go over the edge, I start rock climbing down and at a moment I freeze. And he says, look, put your hand here, put your foot here. And they guided me each hold all the way down. And then we get to the bottom And it's this beautiful, lush valley where you see caribou going across a beautiful river. I'm like, this is it. This is it. This is the rest you're leading us to. I just needed to trust you and follow your lead. And I know that you'll ultimately lead me home. Where are you at this morning? Before you start putting the pieces in your life, do you first know the one who gave his life for you to lead you to the Father, to guide you in how to live life? We have an amazing opportunity to celebrate communion this morning. The men that are going to prepare it, can you please do that? And the amazing part about communion is is this. 
that for those of us who are believers, it's that moment to, to reevaluate. Where have I been this year? Have I drifted far from you, Jesus, in, in kind of pursuing my own ends, building my own life? And communion is about relationship, to commune with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, who he sent. And so I would just ask you right now, as the, as the men pass the elements, would you open your hearts, figure out which thing does, is God pressing on you this morning to work on? Jesus, we thank you that you prepared and you lived life and you lived in obedience with the Father, following his direction, and you gave everything that we might inherit new life in you. So, Father, I pray that, uh, that we would come through the Son to your presence. Jesus, we thank you that you poured out everything and as we look at our life over the past year, there's many pieces that, that aren't quite matching up with, with your priorities. So I pray, Lord, that we would see where we're missing, that we would move, set patterns in life so that life can thrive, not just survive. I lift up these people to you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. I've got one announcement to give to you guys um, before we leave, and, and it's this. Um, if you are interested in perspectives... It is an opportunity to learn about the missions of the world. Um, and in particular, uh, Creekside is, is partnering with some folks going to Greece this summer. If you want to learn more about those opportunities, if that's one of the things that God has been stirring in your heart this morning, there are some people right out these doors that would love to talk to you about both perspectives and going to Greece this summer. I'm going to leave you with that. Have a great morning.